Hello, this is your captain speaking. Welcome to another episode of Captain Roy's Rusty Rocket Radio Show, the UK Geek Podcast. Episode 440, recorded on Monday, the 16th of May, 2022, at 2308.36. Welcome to the show. It is Monday, and this is the full stack geek version of Captain Roy's Rusty Rocket Radio Show. In other words, this is a science fiction fantasy and horror show, but it's also a show about everything to do with being a geek, including tech and the pain of geek life. Unless you're an undead geek, because I don't cover undead geek life, though perhaps I should, given my vitamin D problem. Since the first episode in 2012, I nearly always have something to say about tech. It is the reason I got a job as a tech and pop culture columnist in the first place. Man, I would really like my old job back. Editors, are you listening? The point is, I primarily talk about entertainment in both weekly shows, this one and the one taped on Wednesday, but I also talk about life, including health and mental health issues and tech, because I'm a geek and I am also alive. Yeah, we've already made that joke. I make this point too often, definitely, but sometimes new listeners are confused when I transition from pop culture to tech on the show. I'm hardly unique in doing this, and I'm not the only geek show that does it, but it usually happens the other way around. There are tech shows that also cover media on the side. Rest assured, as far as the podcast you're listening to right now, this will always be about science fiction, fantasy, and horror, as it has been right from the beginning, back in 2012, and through all those highly eccentric name changes. Geeks like me also like lots of other things as well, like art and music, as you are about to find out again. The full stack. Be forewarned to expect spoilers as well in every damn thing I say regarding pop culture forever. Enjoy, enjoy. As we're still in the pre-show section and I've only used up three minutes, health issues. Do you remember that I've been talking about coming off PPIs, which is nothing to do with finance, but is in fact a compound called a proton pump inhibitor that is used to treat acid reflux? I have come off of them, which is incredible. I've been on them for more than 10 years, and now I'm off them. It was a hell of a process. I still suffer from bouts of acid reflux every day, including now, but less severely. Were there any benefits to that hellish nightmare of withdrawal I put myself through? Well, I'm less gassy, which I think everyone is grateful for. I've lost weight, mainly because I can no longer enjoy being a human dustbin. I'm sweating less. I don't know what's that about. Disadvantages. 
I can no longer be a human dustbin. I do so miss junk food. I also smell worse than I did before. And that is despite being forced to eat less spicy food. Doesn't seem to make any sense, does it? Is it related to the PPI withdrawal? I don't know. But everything that's coming out of me is more revolting since I've been off them. I'm not going to go into that in any great detail. I'm sure your imagination can figure that out for yourself. I also seem to be getting more migraines, though that could just be the stress of family life. And finally, my Tourette syndrome seems to be playing up. Though, again, that could be due to stress. It could also be due to me losing weight, because weirdly, when I get fitter, my Tourette gets worse. Allergy also exacerbates that. And migraines. Yeah, migraines. Okay, six minutes. Hurry up, Roy. There is a cool word for someone with migraines, and that is migraineur. That sounds much better than, oh, God, I had ache. As you get older, and this is related to migraines, many of us, with health conditions of our own, have to at least partly take up some care duties. For me, it's with my mother and father. But I think we have to be careful not to let those extra responsibilities also adversely affect our own health, otherwise we end up failing. Not only ourselves, but everyone who relies on us. I'm talking about this because ignoring the visual auras that soon pass for me, and pain which you can fight through, and phonophobia, which is a new thing that I'm starting to get, uh, hatred and dislike and discomfort of noise in the treble range, and photophobia that I've talked about before. Did I say I wasn't undead? Let me just confirm that I'm definitely not undead. The one thing that I didn't count on with migraines was the confusion. Last Thursday, That confusion led me to quite literally drive around and around the same roundabout trying to get my parents to a clinic. Road diversions added to the fun on the way back home, making a journey that should have taken a total of 10 minutes of driving time into half an hour. As I wrote the show notes that I'm using to talk to you right now in this particular item about migraines. Even typing was difficult. In summary, take care of yourself, otherwise you won't be able to take care of anyone else, which is common sense, really. On a lighter note, I discovered on that same last Thursday, the 12th of May, that I get the migraine munchies and crave sweet stuff. It's a bit like the pot munchies, but far less fun. Do you remember I was telling you about having trouble renewing my passport? My new blue post-Brexit passport arrived weeks ago. 
It is nothing like the old, large-format, hard-card passport I remember from childhood. It's just like the pre-Brexit document, only a different colour, and with less words. I am unimpressed. What I am impressed by was how phenomenally early I received it, considering the hellish passport backlog in the UK and the problems everyone else are having getting their passports renewed. On the other hand, and this added to my stress, the supporting documents that I had to send as a tri-national person only arrived uh, a couple of days ago in a suspiciously torn envelope via the normal British Postal Service. I so suspicious because identity theft is fairly rampant today. Fingers crossed it was just damage sustained by a bulky packet negotiating the hard knocks of the British postal system. I was quite worried at how long they took to come back to me because Her Majesty's Passport Office say on their website that they aren't responsible for returned documents lost in the post. That is, they are abjuring all responsibility for the loss of possibly life-altering documentation, so I was extremely glad to get them back. Of course, that still means I have the stress of renewing the other two passports, which is one of the added bonuses, little bits of fun of having dual or triple nationalities, but that can wait until after a sorely needed holiday. I don't think I need to travel with all three of those passports, or two of them, unless I go to one of those countries, which is what I don't intend doing. I just need to go somewhere that has a beach and warm weather and drinks with umbrellas in them. One final thought about passports. If you travel enough, you'll grow to hate passports and borders. I can only see this bureaucratic bullshit get worse as we spread through the universe. Can you imagine the fun it will be applying for a Martian passport, probably the cover of which will be stamped with Elon Musk's face? Oh joy. Let us finally stop talking about me and talk about culture. And this is a reverse-in-time segue which will make sense later on. Pretend that you've just heard me talk a lot about rock in the context of science fiction, fantasy, and horror, and that we're now coming back to this item. Great segue! This would then be the most opportune of times to announce the return of cult parody Metal band Spinal Tap's return in a sequel to the 1984 mockumentary, rockumentary, documentary. Wow, try saying that really fast. Mockumentary, rockumentary, documentary, can't do it. Which was, of course, titled This is Spinal Tap. The sequel, imaginatively called This is Spinal Tap 2, will premiere in 2024, when we will catch up with the now aging rockers, smell the glove of the future metalheads. I'm raising the double horns of rock over the microphone. That was really weird, wasn't it? A segue in reverse, but you'll see why. It is a pre-segue. Look, we're geeks. 
We're into non-linear space-time. Let it go. Next, Star Trek Picard. It turns out that my Picard finale review in pod 439 was extremely hasty. <laughs> I was enjoying it that much that I did a finale review of the penultimate episode. <laughs> Yes, there was one last episode, episode 10. I have since watched and enjoyed episode 10. It doesn't fundamentally change my overall feelings of the show, but I did find it enjoyable, and it certainly twanged my heartstrings mightily. On a deeply personal level as well. Why is that? Well, you'll have to go back in time, we're doing it again, to an earlier pod or pods where I've talked about this stuff to understand. I'm not explaining it now, though we'll be revisiting the topic in bold in a later show. I know how opaque that is, but read between the lines. And did I previously give a spoiler warning? If I haven't, I'm giving a spoiler warning now. I said I wouldn't give spoiler warnings again, but here we are, and I'm doing it again. Spoiler warning, big spoiler warning for every other thing that I say during the course of this podcast. If you hear me start to talk about an item and you don't want it spoiled, fast forward. Okay. Ready? Three, two, one. Okay. I enjoyed the return of Wesley Crusher. Yes, I actually like the character Wesley Crusher from The Next Generation. I still can't understand the animosity towards him. You know, he was a young man on a spaceship, a teenager, single-parent family, father killed in action. What's the problem with him? Ah, I don't know. On the other hand, I did find it a little too trite and convenient how they wove him into the Gary Seven lore. Finally, Alison Pill's final scene made me somewhat favourably reappraise her performance. I still don't like the whole thing about the red dress and the musical numbers and the combat boots. They were all utterly ridiculous. But she is not ridiculous as, spoiler warning, the Borg Queen. The cool Borg Queen with all the tentacles and stuff, which is really cool. So cool. So cool. Well done, Alison Pill. Next, Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Yes, I watched the first episode. Man, I was looking forward to that. And it is good. In Strange New Worlds, Christopher Pike, introduced during Discovery... Kirk's predecessor on the Enterprise, is back in the chair of command. Is he still doomed to the horrific future that we know about from the original series and also (laughs) explained to, I suppose, younger watchers in Discovery? Or are we still throwing all the lore out with the multiverse changes of the new possibilities created by the reboot movies? The answer is I don't know, but I'm glad to see Pike back. 
And for the die-hard original series Trekkie, like me, we've got new actresses and actors playing Nurse Christine Chapel, iconic role. There's also Dr. Mbanga, there's a Uhura, number one, Spock, and the goddamned Enterprise. Oh my god, the Enterprise. Oh my. I could talk about this for another 20 minutes, but we've got other things to talk about as well. But just briefly, I like what they did with Nurse Christine Chapel. She was important on the original series, but they've really fleshed her out and made her quite an entertaining and brilliant character. I'm looking forward to see the interaction between Uhura and Spock. And just seeing the Enterprise, that is a powerful thing. The first adventure is on a not-so-strange new world, quite honestly. It's supposed to be a bit like ours in the 21st and late 20th century, but at least initially seen from the eyes of aliens who regard us, the humans, Vulcans and the rest of the Federation, as the advanced visitors from outer space. It's a nice reversal. For people like me, Star Trek Strange New Worlds is great. It is, of course, never going to equal the original series, because look at the writers they had back then. But it is a return to the traditions of Star Trek. It's intelligent, adventurous, but also grown up, and isn't unnecessarily, relentlessly grimdark gritty, which is just a trope now. It is ridiculous. Not everything has to be like that. The guy playing Christopher Pike, Captain Christopher Pike, I'm saluting, Anson Mount's pretty damn good as a haunted Pike. You get a similar performance from the original actor from the original series, Jeffrey Hunter. And now you get it from Mount as well. And finally, I really envied his Earth countryside residence. That was great. Riding in the snow, that all looked really wonderful. And he had a hot starship captain girlfriend. What else could you ask for? And I love that he loves the day the Earth stood still. That iconic, brilliant, fantastic 1951 science fiction movie that I also love. But of course, anyone who likes Star Trek will like that movie. It is blatantly fan service, but I don't care. Let's move on to some new Who news. And that is regarding Doctor Who's 10th Doctor and his companion Donna Noble. According to the BBC, David Tennant and Donna will return in 2023 for the 60th anniversary celebrations. The returning showrunner, Russell T. Davies, says... It's going to be spectacular as two of our greatest stars reunite for the battle of a lifetime. That's something to look forward to. And of course, the other thing to look forward to. 
<laughs> it is my next revisit of Classic Who that I'm taping on Wednesday. And that will be about the story Sharda. But I digress. Remember I did that weird reverse segue? Because I was planning to talk about This Is Spinal Tap 2 after I talked about a big chunk of the main section of this show. But then that would have been out of order from the way I usually talk about things, which is books, comics, movies, TV, games, toys, and then everything else. And so this everything else bit is here. I'm taking too long to introduce this. I now just want to talk briefly about science fiction, fantasy, and horror-based rock, and rock and roll, and music in general, but mainly rock. Let's start off with a little recap, something you may have heard before, but may amuse you if you haven't heard it before. Once upon a time, I started a band. The reason I did this was mostly because it would be a way of meeting a potential partner, because apparently... You can't meet women if you are a shut-in. That isn't the most original reason for starting a band. It wasn't the only reason. I'm really into rock. And I want to socialise. But that was a fairly important reason. Anyway, moving on to band rehearsals. It took about two jam sessions for me to get sidelined in my own band, through admittedly my innate lack of talent, band members seem to have forgotten that we were doing a social thing and we were not trying to be Judas Priest. I immediately rage quit slash dissolved the band. It's like the writing group that I also started, or the bloody beach trip or the gaming group, or the don't get me started. I come up with something, then some other bastard swoops in like a vulture. Can you tell I'm not bitter? But that is rock and roll. Sorry, everyone, I'm getting sidetracked, going off on a tangent, a bit of a sulk. But it is a good way to introduce this week's topic, and that is we shall explore science fiction fantasy, and horror-based music. Given my personal taste, that will, of course, predominantly, though not exclusively, mean the rock and roller. I have covered snippets of similar topics in previous pods, but this is a longer but still fairly potted delve. Science fiction, fantasy, and horror is a rich ground for fleecing ideas. I'm sorry, I don't mean fleecing. I mean seeking inspiration by other artists, including rock musicians. To be fair, bands like Hawkwind were space rock auteurs rather than simply acquisitive musician fans of science fiction and fantasy, through their personal interests and their long-working relationship with British sword and sorcery author Michael Moorcock. I'm not completely naive. I've seen the interviews, and yeah, songs like Silver Machine and Needle Gun are full of schoolboy innuendo, but I tend to ignore that and 
literally contemplate the futuristic iconic weapon of super spy, wizard, scientist, post-human, post-gender, multiverse tripping and rocking weirdo Jerry Cornelius. Wait a minute. Contemplate the iconic weapon of... Okay. So what I said was exactly double entendre, which is the eternal curse of being British, or so I've been told by those from abroad. Back to Hawkwind. Picking but one of a prolific back catalogue, Hawkwind's The Chronicle of the Black Sword is all about Michael Moorcock's most famous creation, the pale, skinny sorcerer Elric of Melnibone, cursed with a giant sword. Okay, I've done it again, haven't I? I can't stop. It's turning into a carry-on movie. Let's set sail on the seas of space and move on from Hawkwind, which is, frankly, a too obvious an exemplar of space and science fiction and genre-based rock. There are other bands and other songs... There is the Stoner Dream of Sleep's beautifully bluesy Dragonaut, a soaring sonic fantasy painted on a vast landscape, evoked by psychedelic lyrics. Ride the dragon toward the Crimson Eye, indeed. In Iron Maiden's Somewhere in Time albums, caught Somewhere in Time, Undead Mascot Eddie goes full Terminator, what about the worship of vintage Hammer films and other British horror movies, a pastime I share, in the kitschy, catchy doom of Electric Wizard? There is the contradiction of the both rhythmic and discordant sinister prog rock of Goblin, featuring in so many Italian horror movies, particularly those of Daria Argento and other more giallo focused films. Genre rock also extends into amateur, though no less excellent, works of epicness, such as a song based on the science fiction saga written by E.C. Tubb, known as the Damarist Saga, called The Traveller, in the style of epic death metal, by a chap called Jeff Buser, who I wanted to feature on the show many years ago, but was uncontactable. I talked about this song in Pod 28, yes, that long ago. And that just about wraps it up for my very brief, necessarily so time-limited sojourn into genre rock. Because, for God's sake, I haven't even mentioned Ziggy Stardust, or Mark Bolan, or Pink Floyd, and we haven't even dipped the merest fraction of a little toenail into the vast ocean of film soundtracks. But let us somewhat briefly appreciate John Carpenter's low-key but narrative-driving synth and more latterly-ish because we're talking about the 80s. Toto's grand earworm theme for David Lynch's Dune, entirely appropriate for the giant sandworms of the titular planet, and Mandy's epic 
Conan-esque Electro-Doom by Oscar-nominated film composer Johan Johansson, his final masterpiece before he passed beyond our mortal plane. Those are but a few of many standout soundtracks. If this has whetted your appetite for oral adventures in the stars, it is the easiest thing to type space rock into your search engine to return a whole lot of the genre. Then you can plug in your cans, hop the Hyperlight Fantastic, and meet me at Altair. This is your captain, heading for a snooze in the Pharaoh's spaceship, signing off. Almost signing off, because we've got the rest of the show to do as well. I hope you enjoyed my very, very brief exploration of genre-based rock. It is something that appeals to me, of course it does, because I'm so into science fiction, fantasy and horror. There is just so much to talk about, and there's simply not enough time in one episode. Let us move on to a few final topics. Technology. Elon is doing what now? Elon Musk has offered how much for Twitter? But, wait, he's actually going to have to pay how much? It's more than he thought he would have to pay. And, of course, the banks are willing to lend him all that money. Gather round, children, Jack and Ori time. When I was a baby, mum and dad couldn't buy a house in Catford, which is a place in southeast London in England, because a bank, the Leeds Building Society, may rot in hell, Leeds Building Society, would not lend them £25. £25. Because of that, it was decades before we could afford our own home. On the other hand, the banks will lend a clown like Elon Musk billions to essentially buy a worthless microblogging company that sells advertising. Good old reliable trolling, SEC flouting manchild Elon is a safe bet for the bank's billions, whereas my hard-working, law-abiding parents weren't allowed to borrow 25 quid. But his fans say, He's cool, Elon's lovely, he's Clint Eastwood, he's like an Old West outlaw. No, I'm sorry to burst your bubble, Elon Musk is not an outlaw, he's just rich. Besides, did you remember his junior grade huffing on Joe Rogan? That guy's an outlaw? Don't make me laugh. But, some people say, he's protecting free speech? No, he's a whiner with his knickers in a twist inadvertently protecting Nazis and late-breaking, by the way, realising that maybe absolute free speech wasn't such a good idea in the first place, and you can take all that to the bank, if he doesn't change his mind and pull out, which he probably will do. Because he's a chicken, and his intellect is vastly overrated. Moving on. Facebook. Last Monday, I talked about how, back in March, Facebook's added extra layer of security locked out many users from their accounts. (laughs) 
<sighs> I was, of course, locked out. Not being such a huge user of Facebook, it wouldn't have been the worst thing in the world if I never got my account back, but I did want it back because I'm trying to really push my podcasting at the moment, and as much as I'm not a fan of Facebook, Facebook is useful, despite everything that's happened. And so, God help me, I tried to get my account unlocked. After direct messaging, and then tweeting the company and their top brass a frankly disturbing number of times, I'm surprised that Twitter didn't ban me. I did all that because there is absolutely no other way to directly contact Facebook. My account was finally reinstated later that day. However, as well as the weird stream of consciousness slash psychosis that I find in their direction, I also had to pull the I'm a tech journalist move. I said, and I'm paraphrasing here, I'll mention my little problem with your august company on tonight's show. What can I say I used to be a tech columnist? There is no question that I've now surpassed Kara Swisher in how annoying a human being can be, in the lengths I am willing to go to fix my access to Facebook and hammer big tech, but for saner, mere mortal civilians, that is, people who are not journalists and are still locked out, I'm not sure whether, if at all, my experiences of getting back in will help you. But I haven't abandoned you. I have tried speaking up on behalf of those who are still locked out of their accounts in my closing message to Facebook, or Meta, with words to the effect of I would like to thank the engineer concerned, Facebook, Meta, and the Zuck himself, who, after many, many tweets, finally fixed my Facebook account. However, I believe there are still many locked out after March's security update. Help them too. For what it's worth, I did that. I'm a very small minnow. Not even a minnow. A sea monkey. <laughs> he used to work as a tech journalist and a pop culture journalist many years ago and would like to work as one again, but that's beside the point. But I did try to help others in a similar position to me. Archive.org. I complained in pod 439 of yo-yoing download statistics from archive.org, which is where I host my podcast MP3 files. I told you I was a minnow. Can't even afford decent hosting. This is a widely reported problem, though for me, it has now stabilised after some automated process kicked in and the web page and my statistics updated. Though I'm grateful it worked out for me in the end, I'm not sure what to make of what happened, and I would reiterate that anyone hosting anything anywhere, including on archive.org, should always have a complete backup in case 
one needs to move their data at a later date. Let's talk about Google I.O. I watched The Verge's supercut of Google I.O. last week. It was the usual blah, 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 hardware this, hardware that. It was boring as hell. That's not why I'm grumpy. I'm grumpy because of the presentation that was like just about all big tech presentations, including post-Jobsian Apple, a boring clone of Steve Jobs-era Apple presentations. This is the best thing ever, spiel, graphics of trendy people, dark clothes, and of course, no use of determiners. We are talking about Google Watch, not the Google Watch. Something I see more and more of is also the NAF power stance, which admittedly is not something I remember seeing Steve Jobs do, though he did appropriate the Hindu pranam, which immediately made us brown people far more cool. Didn't it? Okay, look, there are CEOs like... Sundar Pichai and Parag Agrawal of Google and Twitter respectively, but they are far and few between, and I'm still down here podcasting from an undisclosed location in the UK. Okay, not that undisclosed, I've mentioned it before. Let's just call it the mutant ghetto of the UK. Which makes it sound terrible, it's not terrible, it's great, but yeah... That reference will mean something to you if you're a 2000 AD reader. I just wish Big Tech would just do something different. Stop being boring bastards. Stop copying Steve Jobs. Yes, it worked. Now it's just naff. It's boring. It's old. Let it go. Let it die. Drive a stake through its heart and do something new. All this talk about social networking this week, I've got to admit, I'm a social network hypocrite, much as I hate having to spread myself all over the internet to get podcast listeners, I'm not doing as well as I should be, so despite hammering big tech for years, I'm re-engaging with social media, which is what I've talked about during the course of this episode. If you're a civilian, it may or may not matter to you. If you're a journalist, it probably does matter to you. If you're not that well-known, if you're very well-known, it matters less to you. For me, it matters. I need the downloads, I need the interaction, I need my own community, hence getting back on socials. However, my time is finite, so if you want to communicate with me, and get a quick response, try Twitter, or better yet, best of all, drop me an email. Details coming up at the end of the show. The iPod is dead. Apple have finally killed the essentially obsolete media player that has been replaced by our phones. The last model, the iPod Touch, is ceasing production. Honestly, though, the Touch never had the iconic cachet of the iPod Classic line, which was discontinued, can you believe this, back in 2014. Let's also not forget Apple's stubborn refusal to expand format compatibility, unlike every other manufacturer. Before we get 
too misty-eyed. Yes, you could run VLC on the iPod Touch, but that's a bit of a hack, and I'm just tired of Apple stubbornly making things hard to fix, making software difficult to deal with, and... Ah, you buy something doesn't belong to you. What is wrong with them? And the whole format thing, ridiculous. Ridiculous, annoying, drives me insane. Anyway, the iPod Touch is dead. That was the point I was trying to make, not moan about Apple. Ah, and that, my geekly friends, is it. We are now in the after show section. I only have one thing to say, but that thing is quite important. Oh. My. God. At long last, someone finally lobbed a few galactic credits my way. I set up a Ko-Fi, that's K-O-Fi, account. Ko-Fi is a competitor to Patreon. So long ago that I had long since ditched my PayPal account. And had to reapply for a PayPal account today. Well, in fact, earlier yesterday, because it's now tomorrow. Time. I'm getting sidetracked. I would like to convey my thanks to supporter Kate Rogers, who chucked a very generous tip into my busking hat on Ko-Fi. Kate, and I quote from her message here, is an aspiring podcaster and stands on the shoulders of creators like you who keep pressing on. I've had to paraphrase that. Thanks, Kate, and good luck with your own podcasting endeavours. If you've heard some extra cracks and snaps in this week's episode, that is not just my lispy mouth. That is my body. Yes, good old Sir Arthur-itis has made a return. Sorry about that. I have found a new D-Clicker plugin for Audacity that I might try out. It is a little aggressive, though, so I'll have to see whether it's worth running. When I say new, it's from 2014. I just found it now. But that is the thing about very long supported open source software. Programs like Audacity, they've been around for years. There are dozens and dozens of plugins, some of which I know nothing about, but are quite useful. I am droning on and on, aren't I? The show that you've just listened to is produced, presented, and edited by me, Roy Matur, a writer. Matur is spelt M-A-T-H-U-R. You can find more about me or get in touch at roymatur.com. If you want to help, please review and rate the show on whatever platform you listen, recommend it to a friend or mortal enemy, or click on the contact or support link on the website. Thanks for tuning in. You were listening to Captain Roy's Rusty Rocket Radio Show, the UK geek broadcast for science fiction, fantasy, and horror aficionados. This is the Monday show where I go off on wild tangents. 
You had the pleasure of listening to episode 440, recorded on Monday the 16th of May 2022, but finishing on Tuesday the 17th of May 2022 at 001328. Thanks for listening, this is the Captain finally signing off for the night, and bye-bye for now. Bye! Elric of Mel... of Melnibane... of Melnibane... of Melnibane, cursed with a giant sword. You who keep pressing on. The title of this week's episode is in honour of my short-lived band, The Space Ravers. <laughs>